Uh, Jack, Jack, quick moment of your time, please. How does it feel to finally discover the Villa Talks podcast? Mm, best day of my life. Great, there you have it. Back to you at the studio. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Villa Talks podcast, another episode of the Late Night Ramble and another special guest. We have Mr. Josh Norris here. Josh, how are you? It feels so good for you to say that. I mean, <laughs> you're so. Uh, I listen to your show and a number of other shows as well. I mean, like on walks with the dog in the morning, um, right after matches, leading up until matches. And so I'm, I'm just thrilled to be here. Um, this has been a great community and I'm, I'm just excited to, to talk to you. Uh, so thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. No. Absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, you're, you're probably one of our more famous Villa fans, uh, especially in the US. Um, but it's for me those, and Tom Hanks. For, you and Tom Hanks. Yeah, you and Tom Hanks are the two. <laughs> I, I mean, it's quite close, I think, depending <laughs> on which, which week you're looking at. Um, look, look I, I know at the end of the season, the end all be all is not just the FA Cup. And I feel like whenever he talks about Aston Villa at the end, it's like they're going to win the FA Cup this season. So at least I yeah. know there's life beyond that here for the Villas. <laughs> yeah, good. Good. I think you. I think you're more in tune with the Villa fan base than Tom. <laughs> Not to put down Tom, I would love no, to no, be no. friends with him. Yeah, and I, I, apparently he listens to the show, so uh, <laughs> you know that's the, we don't want to we don't want to put him off. But um, for, I mean, for, for those listeners who who don't know who you are, Josh, a very few listeners, I'm sure. Um, explain explain what you do out in uh, out there in America. So I work in American football. Let's put it that way over here. Um, so I have worked for NBC sports for the last eight years. I actually just recently left that job. Maybe that's a conversation we'll get into. Uh, but, um, it's American football is what I just love growing up. Uh, when I was seven years old, uh, an NFL franchise called the Carolina Panthers was formed in 1995. And I think that's just about the time when every child or person finds their first obsession. And so that's what it was for me. And it kind of just blossomed from there where in college I was able to work for a handful of months, almost a year with another NFL franchise, the St. Louis Rams, and really got into um, player evaluation, player personnel, and and figuring out um, how you can best evaluate a here college player and how, where they win, where they succeed, where they might not be their best and how they might fit um, in the NFL. And then was able fortunate enough to land a job with uh, NBC Sports, moved up to Connecticut, and there I've been working um, for fantasy football and also podcasting, live television, video work. It kind of all forms into one after a while. Um, and then along the way, was fortunate enough to pick up a appreciation for the Premier League and, and Aston Villa. So uh, that has kind of been my escape in in recent years away from football, which was once my escape, but now is my career. Uh, but I think we all need a few of those as well. Nice, very nice. And um, oh, well, I suppose you mentioned that you've you've recently left NBC Sports. What what what's the what's the reason behind that? What's the next move in your in your career? Oh gosh, um, that's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think mainly, and maybe I can turn this back on you. Uh, it's the only job I've ever had, and eight years in one place is a really, really long time. And 
I started off making very little money there, working in one role and kind of was able to find cracks and areas where they don't have content and basically created their podcast platform and podcast network. And, you know, there we had the number one podcast for four straight years and um, we did really great work over there. And I, I think that they just didn't have necessarily the next step that I felt was um, the the right fit in terms of uh, really having more reinforcement and backing and, and promotion behind um, something that could see it continue to grow. So um, I felt I see, you know, a lot of my peers and friends in sports and not in sports, you know, change jobs every two to three to four years. And I just want to change a job to change a job. But I, I do feel like in almost any career, the only way you can truly move up and, and advance is going to a new place that like has a new vision for you and a new, a new role. So that's what I'm trying to do at the moment. Find the right one that I don't have to leave them two years as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely get that. Um, you know, you don't want to be too stagnant in one place to yep. you, um, or, or grow stagnant in one place. And, and it can, you can do that. Um, and I think a lot of people are the same, especially in, in, in these days in terms of career wise, compared to say the generation before us who would stay in a, the same job for a long period of time and progress that way, you have to really move jobs to progress and, yep. and almost, you know, keep that interest, peak that interest. You know, this is obviously something you enjoy and love. You don't want it to become a job almost, do you? You want it to continue to be a, a passion in some ways. Yeah. And it's, it's one, and it's, it's funny when you just mentioned the previous generation, like I'll, I'll talk to my parents about these decisions I make or am going to make. And, you know, my mom says things like, well, make sure you do it with respect and make sure that, you know, you're, they, they know that you want to be there and how difficult this is. And then, you know, you just see people who are absolutely ruthless and spineless and make yeah. decisions out of selfish reasons are the ones who somehow end up getting opportunities. And I'm not saying I, I ever want to be that type of person, but it, it can be difficult to just continue to grow eight years, then turn that into 16 years or 25 years in the same place, because it's kind of honestly, in some ways, not to make this weird link and comparison, but like, let's say a football club, right? Like, um, if they want to find someone for a certain type of role or a certain type of player, they can go out and buy them and purchase them and bring them in with that exact position in mind versus maybe grooming someone for eight years, 10 years, 12 years, um, because they, you know, they have those funds, they have that ability and they believe in their own evaluation skills and decision-making that they can find someone out there. So, um, I just have to find someone who thinks that of me, if that makes sense. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. And well, I've seen your work and NBC sports and the work around the NFL draft and, and the podcast that you've done. And, you know, obviously been doing it for a number of years now and talking to the NFL, obviously the Super Bowl yep. at, at the weekend. What did you, what did you make of, of that? Another Super Bowl win for, for Tom Brady? Yes. I mean, what it's his 10th or 11th that he has played which is just stunning to think about how some of the best players in NFL history never even played in a single Super Bowl or maybe only get one chance at it. And just the longevity that he has had and how it was perfect timing for him to choose to leave New England um, and wind up in a place like Tampa Bay with um, a lot of quality talents, either on rookie years or on 
cheaper deals. And, you know, it, it, they certainly weren't the perfect team halfway through the season. They hit their bye week around week 10, and they were able to string together eight straight wins after that, I believe. And so it's it's hitting stride at the at the right time. Um, you know, I could dive in a hundred different directions with this, but a lot of people who view games right now say like over the course of a season, defense doesn't matter to some degree because offense is what is sticky week to week. Um, it's what you can predict and what you can expect week to week. Um, but I will always, you know, clap back with, well, in a single elimination game, defense absolutely does matter. And when the Kansas City Chiefs are down to their third string left tackle, third string right tackle, and you have a defensive coordinator who can disguise blitzes or just have a defensive line that you can rush out there with four people and that can beat five blockers and you already have a two-man advantage in comparison to the quarterback as well, then uh, then that's going to win you the game. And on some level, uh, it did despite Patrick Mahomes' uh, attempted heroics. So it's 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 a really fun one, and hopefully it's not the last time that we see those those two quarterbacks face off each other because they're obviously rare talents. Yeah, I mean, so, um, NFL American football is always a sport I've always wanted to get into, and 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 you know, obviously you watch the Super Bowl as most people do is one of the world's most watched events in the in the world um, yeah. every year. But it's um it's a sport that I'm I'm still struggling to get into to be to be frank. What, um, what's what's the barrier of entry for you like what what's the most difficult thing to to connect with well I, I, to be honest i think um i understand the premise and i understand a lot of the rules uh, and i understand what's good what's bad i think for me mainly it's um the time it takes to get through a game yeah. uh, but then i say that but then I, then one of my favorite sports is cricket and i'm not sure if you ever watch cricket but they that, that game could go on for five days so okay <laughs> So from that perspective, but it's different because I've known I've grown up with it. So trying to get into a new sport where, you know, there's only what, what was it, four 15-minute uh, quarters, yep. but the game could last three, four hours. Yeah. I, I think that's the di biggest difference when I watch the two sports is, you know, in football, American football, they run around for seven seconds and then there's 40 seconds in between and they go seven seconds again and you get to reset and you kind of get to figure out exactly the position that the person lining up next to you or across the formation is going to be if you you know understand the concept that you guys are running meanwhile in you know world football let's say um it's just constant motion and it's and also the biggest difference is the the difference in points i mean I, i've noticed that and i couldn't imagine being as into the nba because of this or baseball or and, and, and football now, I mean, every single goal just changes the complexion of the game, right? And that singular moment might be that one moment for 90 minutes, whereas, you know, constantly, even more so now than 10 years ago, NFL, you, you get into the 50s, 60s, even 70s and points in games. So, uh, uh, and it's difficult to watch, you know, many car crashes every 40 seconds as well. And the longer I watch this, the more I realize kind of the damage that American football takes on people. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it's a concussion and all that sort of after retirement injuries and yeah. the effects that American football has on people, you know, you see more and more now, don't you? And then obviously it's been talked about in football now with concussion substitutes. 
been introduced as well and it's an important it's an important point i think um you know you have to you know i've I've worked with a lot of ex players in the past and i've seen some of the effects that it can have on on players in all, across all different sports so yeah you know you have to be careful but i suppose going back to what we we're talking about um american football and and you said you know you, you you've got into soccer you got into football what was it that attracted you into into you know world football as you called it and and, and how did you get into it and, and also how did you get to into supporting aston villa well first of all i'm calling it world football because i'm doing my best to not say soccer so I, I, <laughs> it's I fine you can say on it it's fine okay it's so fine. If, if the s word slips out i apologize um so i mentioned that i moved up to connecticut to work with nbc sports that's kind of one of the three or four big sports networks over in the United States. I think they're associated with Sky Sports. Um, and my first year up here was the first year they had the Premier League rights. And before then, I mean, it was so difficult to even, you know, watch a full slate of PL matches on a Saturday, on a Sunday, wherever. I mean, growing up, we had Fox Soccer Channel, but you had to pay extra for that. And it's just so difficult even to watch the Euros. Um, anyway, so I, I, I was 24 at the time and worked in the newsroom at NBC Sports. And so, you know, working around other 24, 27, 30 year olds, we all thought, hey, we have this new property. Why not all uh, pick a club to follow? And obviously the rest of the hooligans I worked with took it easy and picked a bunch of top six clubs. And I took it a bit more serious. And I said, look, I just don't want to pick a winner. I want to pick a club on the rise. <laughs> <laughs> So this, and, was, this was eight years ago, right? And so, so I started asking around, and you know, I mean, on paper, Omar, this sounded wonderful. I mean, it was this historic club that had some great talents like Christian Benteke, like Fabian Delph, I could keep going on and on, and uh, that they were perceived to be improving after, you know, fighting off relegation. And then I must have been the kiss of death. Uh, because as soon as I joined, it was abysmal. Um, but on some level, I think supporting that type of a club where, you know, I didn't even, I wasn't even able to watch some of their matches in the championship in those first few years because they didn't even have streaming services at that time through the team site. So I would listen to the calls on the radio. Um, and really what started to grab me was, when other than Jack was like a complete roster overhaul um, where I basically was there at the start of the Villa career for every single one of those players. And so I kind of understood the expectation of the initial expectation that was set out for that single player and then how they progressed since then or, or what the development has been since then. And so that was about what three or four years ago and and the the grasp has only tightened uh since then and i absolutely love it i mean i it kind of brings me back to me being 16 years old with my nfl fandom and my fanaticism that i now have with aston villa wow wow it's an amazing journey it's uh, quite interesting because obviously for m most uk fans the the journey is quite different especially because we're not i mean i'm 35 you're 32 and yeah so we're you know not far off same age so if you were in the uk you would have uh we would potentially be seeing Villa at the same time if you were watching them from a young age here. And, and you know, I've seen Villa be a historic top six club for most of the Premier League um, and finish as high as fourth, as finish as high as second, win cups, um, 
you know, and and always be talked about as one of the bigger clubs. Right. Um, so you've you've come into into oh, it's a myth to me. It's it's a, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's a fable myth, yeah. tale for me. I have exactly, no idea about yeah. that. <laughs> it's completely different for you. You've come in where we've been fighting relegation. Oh yeah, and trying to make our way in the Premier League again, and then be relegated, and then come back up and. As they call it, the fallen giant come rise again. Yeah, I will say, and I I wasn't, you know, even as close and knowledgeable, and I'm not nearly as knowledgeable as every single person listening. I'm I'm trying to learn each and every day more and more. Um, But as about the roster that got relegated, I mean, I, I, I do remember obviously going out and spending on French players, on Spanish players, and kind of trying to put this group of talents together without like a real plan in the end. But those championship years where they basically said, hey, this plan that we have is not working despite so many of those talents going on and, and being good football players elsewhere um, and, and kind of having to really create a foundation that had veterans that, you know, who understood exactly what the plan was going to be and then kind of continue to build it from there. But as you know, the last three seasons have just been four seasons have just been an absolute whirlwind and i mean quite a story to tell and uh it, it certainly seems like it's going in that direction of being a, a historic top club eventually hoping hopefully in the next five years so yeah i mean i mean as i mean in terms of being a fan obviously the, the roller coaster of emotions you wouldn't get that at other clubs like that what right. we've gone through obviously from being relegated to then being nearly put out of existence and then finding our feet and coming back and nearly being relegated last year. And then this year, which has been a complete, well, massive turnaround from what we saw last year when we got nearly got relegated. That's a hell of a journey you've, you've gone on. So you've, you've probably had, you've probably had about 30 years worth of <laughs> fandom in, in the space of eight years anyway. So. <laughs> I mean, last year, I feel like I aged last year. Um, I mean, but, and obviously you just, I think from someone over here who just didn't understand the PL and the championship and how many tiers there were to English football, how much of a dungeon the championship is um, and how difficult it is to get out of it. Cause I'm sure so many Villa fans thought as soon as they got relegated, Oh, we're such a massive club that we'll be back in within a season, maybe a second season. And then basically having to change the identity once you're there and doing that, maybe another two more times in order to get out of it. Um, I'm just so thankful that it doesn't seem like that is even close to happening again, cross your fingers, knock on wood, but, um, that championship, while it can be fun and there were some just obviously incredible moments, especially in that final season playoff run, uh, I absolutely never want to go back there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And also I suppose it's uh, quite different in America where in most sports, from what I understand, there's no promotion or relegation, um, in most sports. So it's a a bit of a, I don't think it'll ever happen. Other than maybe in the MLS, um, just because obviously with the NFL, like there have been other professional leagues that have attempted to be created, um, AAF, XFL, so on and <laughs> so forth. Yeah, Vince look, McMahon. <laughs> look, some some people get into the XFL. It's it's madness. Yeah. Um, but you know those thirty-two owners. I mean, there's a lot of crossover with the PL. You know, they are just so extremely wealthy that, um, and how much money that league makes that they will absolutely never agree to another 32 teams or 16 teams or whatever. And I think that's such a major difference too, where, you know, in the NFL, if you go one and 15, two and 14, in some ways you're rewarded in the end, like you get the number one overall draft pick. 
Um, you are able to now get Trevor Lawrence, who is absolutely the number one quarterback prospect. And even over here in the NFL, like if you go one and 15 or two and 14, you basically get rewarded for it. Like the worst team in the NFL gets the best possible draft pick. So to me, I mean, every single loss, especially like if you look at the 1920 season for Villa last year, like every single loss, it's devastating. Whereas, you know, once you get to, I don't know, 10, 12 games in, if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars this year or the New York Jets, then the fan base basically is rooting for you to lose because there, you know, there's no real punishment to feel, you know, finding yourself in last here. So, I mean, just the, the roster building process, especially with the NFL draft process and how college players go, well, high school players go into college, then college over to the NFL and how it's so different. Um, over there to me, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And it's a cool little intersection that I find myself in, um, now in these last few years. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's such a, a so weird, isn't it? To think about it that way when, um, to root for your, <laughs> root for your team to lose so you can get a better signing next season or better draft pick is completely do you, alien. Do you understand the NFL draft? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah. I, okay. I know how it works. Yeah. You get the, you get the, the worst team gets the first pick. Um, right. it's same with the NBA, isn't it? Um, yeah, NBA has a lottery system, which it's to avoid teams tanking. It's called tanking over here. Right. And, uh, I, I think that happened. I don't even know when it was implemented, but you know, you get, if you get last place, you get a 30% chance of the first pick and then it goes on to 23%, so on and so forth. So you will find, you know, the fifth worst team getting the number one overall pick, but that's, you know, articles and television segments are posted every single year saying that the NFL should do the same thing, but nothing has quite happened like that. But I mean, it, it's basically to install parity in the NFL, right? In professional football. So, you know, you can have teams going from worst to first in a two to three year span, but in the exact same time, you have a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars, who only about four years ago, sorry to keep picking on them, Shad Khan, but about four years ago, who uh, was, you know, the best defense in the AFC, um, went to the AFC championship despite having an awful quarterback. And then, you know, the roster became decimated in just two or three years. And now here they are again, having the number one overall pick, but kind of that roller coaster of it probably speaks to just how good the new England Patriots have been where their window to win has been so large in comparison to almost every other franchise, not, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Seattle Seahawks and so forth. Like if you have a consistent playoff team and that really starts from the owner down, then you have the right construction. But there are so many others, like the Cleveland Browns, for example, as obviously many Villa fans will know um, because of Randy Lerner. Well, uh, you know, they haven't been in the playoffs in almost two decades. So it, it, it can take some longer than others, but I guess that's part of the heartbreak. And at the end, it's not quite as much of a heartbreak as uh, football supporters who see their team relegated and then relegated again and relegated again. So, yeah. Yeah, quite different. Well, well, one thing that um, football has taken from American football and American sports in recent years in particular is, is stats. And mm-hmm. um, the idea of using stats as a way to either recruit players or um, scout opposition teams and just, just generally to get ahead in football and to get that sort of edge that you need to, to do well. Um, one, of the, one of the recent articles that we've, we've both seen, we've been talking about uh, offline, was from Statsbomb, um, well-known 
a stats website that focused on the Premier League. And they did a deep dive on, on Aston Villa this year, um, which was a really interesting read. And both both of us have read it and, and I tweeted it out on, on our Villa Talks podcast Twitter page um, a few days ago. It's a really interesting article. It goes into, like I said, deep, deep detail in, into terms of how we play, the style of play, what we're good at, what we're not so good at, how we've improved the defence, how we've basically improved as a team overall. Um, and what, what the factors involved in that? I mean, just for the for the listeners, um, we'll go through the article. We won't rehash everything because I don't think anyone wants to see that. But I suppose let's just pick out some of the pertinent points because this is important. Because you know, we'll talk about the Villa style of play, which is one of the topics that we want to cover. The first thing it highlights is sort of headline figures around, you know, how we've improved the season. And obviously, we know we've improved. You don't need to look at points per game or you know, uh, expected goals or anything like that. You, you can see us on the table. You can see the way that we play in the results. So that's obvious. But I think a lot of these stats are important because they do give an indication of some things that you might have been missing uh, by just looking sort of with, with your eyes and, and not actually looking into it more deeper than that. Um, the first thing that we need to look at is um, our expected, non-penalty expected goals and how that has changed. So last season, we were the fourth worst in the league, I think minus. Uh, sorry, this is uh, this is a goal difference. Sorry, expected goal difference. This is sorry, I'm talking about here. So last year we were the fourth worst in the league at minus 0.68, and this year we're the fourth best in the league at 0.57. So complete dramatic turnaround, massive shift. And there's various different factors involved in that. And the points per game has increased from 0.92 to 1.62. Again, a massive shift. The first thing they they talk about is a playing style, Josh. Um, mm-hmm. in terms of how we play. What, what did you take from the article and, and some of the stats that I put out there that, that are quite that be quite interesting for some of the listeners to, to know? Yeah, I want to shout out you and Dewar, Dewar, it's one of the two. Uh, I mean, this is basically just a manual for the 2021 season. Like, it's basically everything that I try to verbalize to myself and to whatever Villa supporters I, I, I talk with and just have never been able to do it as precisely and as well as as this person was uh it's fantastic and it it, i think it's great as you're talking about it kind of lines up everything that you see and it's in their style of play like i i've been frustrated a little bit on how it seems like i mean I, i think everyone wants to watch their football club play you know this beautiful play from the back style of football where you know the arsenals of old where, you know, you have eight build up passes to this beautiful play one twos into the back of the net. And that's just not how Villa's playing. Right. I mean, this article talks about how it's really playing a long ball to Jack, definitely to Ollie, even Triore on the right side and how they are skillful in terms of retaining the ball, picking up the ball in those situations. But even if they're not, then it's to then immediately pressure the opposition and to get the ball back in those scenarios. So that is, to me, something that is one part of the plan and two, pressuring when other teams are then trying to play out from the back. And because we simply Villa doesn't want to create those mistakes in their own half, even in their own third, and instead force the other team to call it, to, to have those mistakes. And then Villa on the counter this year has just been 
absolutely incredible. So I don't know if that completely answers your question, but from a top-down perspective, from a big picture's perspective, that kind of seems like the style of play that Villa's going for this year. And it was outlined in these figures perfectly, I think. Yeah, I, th I think that's um, that's a really really interesting point. And I think um, I think you can see that the, the work that Dean Smith and the management team have done in terms of post-lockdown and how that they've then adapted what they've done post-lockdown into this season and made, made us much more effective as an attacking unit um, and really playing to our strengths this season and, and playing to our players' strengths. You know, Ollie Watkins has obviously been a massive factor in all of this in terms of being able to play that long, long ball um, effectively and be able to hold on to the ball as well. And, and I think that's shown in some of the stats that they talk about. And, you know, you can see that in terms of um, the link of play between Grealish and Watkins and how often that link of play happens. And that's one of the stats that, that are, that's mentioned within the article that's w worth looking into. I think more importantly is how long we keep the ball after we play that long pass. So I think last year we were trying to counter, we were trying to play that long pass to Grealish, um, but we were just so much less effective. This year, you know, we're not playing that, as you say, that build-up play, that that sort of playing nice from the back, that uh, bit like Arsenal back in the day, Man City now, but we're playing more, probably like a bit more like Burnley, really, if you, if you look at the stats. But where we differ is that we're much more effective when it actually comes to the outball uh, and what happens after the outball happens and, and what we do with it. And that's that's the main difference with the likes of Grealish, with the likes of Watkins, likes of Barkley as well. We're able to hold onto the ball uh, and get in those positions early on and make something happen at the end of the day. I think that's the main factor. Two things that I found fascinating. One was the style of play that we are talking about, that it seems like Villa has two ways to win of, hey, you can rack up, and we have seen it this year, one, two, three, I don't know, four, maybe seven goals by you know hoofing it long, creating pressure, um, and then scoring on those quick counters. I mean, just as we saw against Arsenal this past weekend of that, you know, attempted through ball, that attempted long ball by McGinn and then immediate pressure cause, you know, players who aren't necessarily as comfortable on the ball as midfielders and forwards to then have mistakes. And then you can capitalize on those. Now, I think that also leads into the second style, which is grinding out these one nil victories. And while that is nail biting and frustrating for some reason, I think that Dean Smith and company are absolutely comfortable winning in that way um, because of how the structure and of the defensive mentality that they instilled at the end of last season and how, especially to open this season, how, how open other sides seem to be and how Villa was able just to carry that, that mindset to start this year. Um, I, I think that this club absolutely understands expected goals, what good shots allowed are, what bad shots allowed are. And sure, you can go, you know, to Southampton, you can go to Leeds, you can go to a few other matches and say, well, XG doesn't necessarily matter when they put it in the back of the net. But some of those goals were just absolute worldies. And I think that on any given Saturday that Dean and John and whoever else would allow those chances because they just understand the structure and the structure as also outlined in the column was to allow these crosses from the outside and to play much more compact in the interior. And overall, it's absolutely working. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that's, I think that if you look at you know, your point is completely right, because if you look at some of the stats around um, how effective we are 
now compared to last season. Uh, one of the one of the uh, stats that's mentioned in the articles is about ca- counter attacking. How we're much more effective on the counter now than we were last season. We've had we've created forty six um, opportunities, if you like, or shot creating opportunities, as they call it, this season so far compared to forty three in the whole of last season. And and I think more importantly, the shot quality has gone up as well. So last season, our open play expected goals was zero point zero eight three per game. Uh, now it's 0.106 per game uh, XG. So last year we were probably we were the worst in the league, and this year we're probably around mid table in terms of quality of shots we're creating. I think the most important point is, and going back to your point, is the number of chances we're now creating, and because we've got in terms of our, uh, we're much more effective now on the counter and also with the long ball, we're creating that many more opportunities that even if they're still mid table quality, there's still enough there to score enough score the goals, and hence why we've been so effective on the uh, as an attacking unit compared to last season. A couple of other standouts to me was just how, and obviously we watch it every Saturday, but just how reliant we are on Jack and Ali. Um, how it basically said no other club, maybe other than Tottenham is as reliant on two players in the attacking third than Villa is. And it does make sense. I mean, obviously, when you think of last season, how much of a difference it was, it seemed like everything was reliant on that left side between Matt, Target, and obviously Jack to create some magic in those moments. And obviously, Jack having Ollie helps a lot. But then on some level, I also think you can't really necessarily nail down a player like Bertrand Traore with figures like this, because I'm not going to say a lot of it is going to be negative because a lot of it wasn't negative. In fact, they highlighted just how good he was at tracking back, which at times it seems like he doesn't, but because he, he just has those vital moments of flair, those vital moments of unpredictability where it absolutely makes sense to have a style like that on the right side where he offers something, you know, creating magic out of nothing that this side doesn't seem like they've had in forever, at least not since I've been watching. So like having that element as a supplement or a complement to what's on the left side right now. And, you know, when Barkley drifts over to the left side as well, I mean, it's, it's not balanced, but in some ways it is balanced. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, completely. I, I completely get that. And I think, I mean, this is not looking at the stats or, or the figures that within the article, but just with the naked eye, you know, you can see, uh, you know, how effective Torre can be because he does have that space now on the, on the right-hand side where we're able to, because there's so much focus on the left-hand side and the way that we play, everything comes right. down to the left, that we're able to, through Barkley normally or through McGinn, we're able to, or, or even Louise, we're able to switch the play to the right and, and suddenly there's there's space for Torre to operate and you normally typically see him coming back on his left foot and creating a shot, creating a cross, um, which wasn't happening last year at all. You know, uh, even even early this year with Trez, you know, Trez is a really hard worker, really effective at nicking at the back post and, um, you know, coming there late, arriving late to score goals or create chances at the back post. But that's still um, a lot of our play game coming down the left. We weren't really creating anything from the right, whereas now I think we are definitely creating stuff from the right. But I think more importantly is our build-up play is that, um, against certain teams, and we, I think we saw this in against West Ham when Troy is out the side, we're just not as effective in terms of building our play up. Um, not that we try and focus on it too much, but we you know we still need we need to be able to vary our play and vary our 
attacking play. And I think Torrid helps us do that because he's so calm and composed on the ball. He's able to keep it and continue the play rather than lose it, which I think does tend to happen with someone like Trezor Garzi on the right, who aren't as calm and composed, are, are almost going 100 miles an hour sometimes, especially Trez, um, which is sometimes good, but sometimes not so good. Um, I have about like five questions that I felt like asking after reading this. So I'm glad I, I get to talk to you about it. Um, one other statement is that I felt like the biggest difference in between last season and this season, like what was we were crying out for more than anything are, are players who were just comfortable and confident on the ball, because I just hated seeing Jack basically have to drift into his, you know, his own third to get the ball and then hopefully create something from there. But while that is the case now, there is comfort and confidence with, I would say, basically every single player on the pitch right now in the starting 11 um, with the ball at their feet. Again, it doesn't seem like the goal is to then play out from the back and create chances in that way. And who am I to argue with what they're doing? Because it's obviously effective. But I guess my my question is, like, what what's the next step here? Like, what's the progression? We saw such a massive progression in the last 365 days. And is that progression... Like we talked about the two styles of winning, right? It's counterattacking that and pressure that and long balls that can potentially rack up one, two, three, four goals, or it's grinding out those one nil victories is the next progression. And sure, we, we've seen it at times, you know, being able to come back from one goals. I don't think we've seen it from two goals yet. Is that part of the mentality that they have? Is that part of the structure that they can or is the roster just not built for it now and if so how can you get there or is that just an unanswerable question so and that's a really interesting point and, and to be honest i don't know you know um i think it's difficult to say you know where we've made so such huge strides compared to last season that it's difficult to think about the next level but i think there was a hint to it uh, in the burnley game in the first half and and really i think that was the first time i've seen is this this season play in that kind of style where we were playing through the middle we were uh, in, you know, there was a lot of one-touch passing and overlapping of the fullbacks and nice intricate play uh, with the midfielders and the wingers, which I don't think we've seen this season because, as the article mentions, you know, we're, we are, you know, we're getting forward quickly. Um, we're not even allowing the opposition to pressure us, really. We're just trying to get in forward position as quickly as we can and then try and be effective as, we can, as much as we can in those forward positions. So we're not even allowing the, the team to put pressure on us. But I think Burnley did the first five or ten minutes they were really good at putting pressure on us and started the game really well and we almost had to play through them we did it really well and something i haven't seen i'm hoping that's a hint to the future um i i'm not sure whether we can do that against the better teams because obviously bernie yes they can press and they, they can do that kind of style well but compared to the bigger teams i'm not too sure um i, I think maybe our midfield may need to change up maybe sanson is a is a part of that i don't know um maybe from the back we need to be better um, I don't know, but there's there's definitely improvements that you can be made in our playing style. Or maybe even Smith might say, well, actually, that's not the kind of team we want to be. We want to continue down this road and just maybe get better quality players to play the same style. I, it's just really hard to say. Yeah, and hopefully Ewan doesn't get upset with me for reading this little paragraph, but I, I thought it perfectly outlined kind of what the theme is, what what the idea is of, the, of this team right now. But it's embracing the chaos seems to be the thought here. If there's going to be a direct element to your game, with plenty of opportunities for head tennis between you and your opponent, putting them in awkward situations. Why not get aggressive and in their face whenever you lose the ball? This, along with their improved ball retention after long passes, is really helping the defense. And that's what we keep hearing about, right? It's um, how the pressure up front is helping 
the play in the back. Um, now, shifting gears here, I also thought that if there was one signal that maybe we could look for improvement, that this article didn't necessarily state this, but I, I would say combining of watching them every single week, it, am I crazy to say it could be Ross Barkley? Because, you know, now he's a 27 year old as it outlines iffy shot choices, alternating between brilliant dribbles through the middle of the pitch and losing the, the ball in bizarre ways. It's like the Ross Barkley experience now, and he's no longer, you know, this young player that has this massive potential to live up to. While he's had some incredible moments, the header against Southampton, obviously, the winner against Leicester, um, is that exactly what you're hoping to have in the number 10 right now? And if not, is that the area of improvement that can really change that middle of the park and that kind of drifts to the left side a little bit more? We can get like a little bit more special out of and even more consistency out of. Yeah, I mean, re really good point. And I think I mentioned this in the last pod. Um, I, I am unsure on Barkley, to be honest, and I've been unsure him for a while. I know he started his, his Villa career with a bang, but too many times I've seen him, and, and this is, again, shown in the ice score, and, and this is what you can see with your naked eye, too many times I've seen him take the wrong option, go down, yeah. go down the wrong avenue, end up losing the ball when there was a better option out there, take a shot when he shouldn't have, uh, play the wrong pass, under-hit a pass. And then I've seen him do absolutely brilliant things as well. Um, yep. So it's a, it's, it's a bit of a weird one. I think for where we are right now, he's definitely one of our best players and adds a massive amount and you know links up well with Jack. And obviously, I'm, I'm sure Jack loves him being here, being close mates. But I think going forward, you know, w with the money that we're potentially going to have to spend on him, I think there's probably better quality out there. And I imagine our recruitment team will, will be able to find better quality out there. And the way our recruitment team work is they look at attributes and characteristics um, and I think that's the way they judge players. So if they can get a player with a similar attributes, similar characteristics, and for half the money or, or better attributes for the same money, then that's what they're going to do. I don't think they're too hung up on a certain player. Um, I guess we will see. And it's also one where we're not exactly sure what the plan is with Samsung yet, right? Where, you know, when I would go back and, and watch some of his matches you know you see the pressure stats it seemed like a lot of those were when it's not like pressuring forward it's like tracking backwards and pressuring in that way and i, I don't want to you know put ross barkley in the spotlight here but i i think that that is one element if we are a pressure side that finds comfort in chaos having someone i mean when I went back and watched the early Arsenal matches or, or, or the Liverpool matches this year, when Ali would do that to create chaos in you know the opposition's third or midfield areas and, and create that ball that either Dougie or John McGinn would pick up and fire passes down the left or the right, like th those were the difference. Like those were the goal scoring elements. And I, who knows if Morgan is going to play that ten role or where he's going to fit in that midfield? But having someone who was absolutely willing with the work rate to create that pressure, even tracking back and not necessarily moving forward is an intriguing added element to me that uh, I'm hopefully we'll see, you know, for the next, what, 18, 19 matches. Yeah. Yeah. No, really, really intriguing. And Sanson's a bit of an unknown quantity for, for a lot of fans. So, you know, he, from what we know, he can play in 
three different positions. He can play that number 10 role. He can play the number eight role and he can play the number six role. So he can sit, he can be the box to box midfielder, or he can play that attacking role. He's got that ability. So, you know, who knows where he will fit in, but I think, you know, your mention about the way that he works and how hard he works and, and the pressures, I think that's such an important factor in our team and why you've, as you said, we've been so good defensively and that's been the bedrock of how we've improved that the defensive foundation is what, what was the biggest difference and the biggest change that we've seen since since the post lockdown period, and 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 again the article towards the end of the article um, talks around how effective we are as a defensive unit, um, and I think mainly is centered around how, and correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, but mainly centered around how we are we're still giving up opportunities to the opposition, but the quality of opportunities that we're giving up to the opposition are are completely are drastically different to last season where. You know they were. If you look at their the opportunities that the opposition were creating, there were uh, you know much easier chances in terms of expected goals compared to what they are now. And in fact, in terms of chances within the six yard box, we're the we're the best in the league. So we're giving up the least amount of chances in the six yard box, which is a, a drastic change from from last season, isn't it? Yeah, and thirty eight percent of the passes into the box they've allowed are crosses. That's the second highest percentage in the league. Um, and as the post reiterates crosses aren't a bad option if you're going to give up something and especially when you have you know people who can clear the ball like Esri obviously like Tyrone and you have a goalkeeper like Emmy who is one of the most aggressive keepers at coming out and collecting the ball and not just punching it out who absolutely will grab it with two hands and take it as his own like there's a reason why so many crosses as you are mentioning are happening against Aston Villa and it's it's the plan it's, hey, we're going to ask you to play a world-class pass to a player that is hopefully sandwiched between two defenders. And if you get it in, good on you. But if not, and also, I mean, just the amount of blocks and how this defense is so willing, this back four so willing to dive and slide and get in the way of these attempted shots is, is incredible. And I think it just goes back to the mentality that they had at the end of last year and then carrying it on to this year, I, I think it was just such a significant advantage. Again, as I mentioned, it seemed like the rest of the league just wanted to play so wide open and was so offensive. And Villa being able to still have that identity of instability on the back. And while that has waned a little bit and withered a little bit at times this year, if you look at West Ham, um, it seems like they can snap back into it and he knows exactly what to say in order for them to get back to their best in that area. Yeah, yeah. And we, we keep bouncing back from these defeats and these poor performances, don't we? Which is um, a really good trait to have, um, a really important trait to have. And we've definitely set high standards for ourselves. And, you know, we bounce back after a really disappointing defeat against West Ham, uh, against Arsenal with a really different kind of display. As you mentioned, those that 1-0 grinding out victory that, you know, we haven't really had to do too much this season, but it's good to know that we've got it in us. And then we're now we're yep. looking forward to the next game, the, the game against Brighton, which is going to be a completely different affair. Brighton, a team who, um, you know, probably deserve more in terms of where they are in the league compared to how they've been playing um, and, and how they've been playing in games. Um, those results have started to come recently uh, since the turn of the year. They've beaten Tottenham, they've beaten Liverpool, they've beaten Leeds. Um, and you know, starting now to pick up points when they weren't before in, in those sort of tight matches where they were maybe drawing or losing. Um, a, a different kind of team um, and, and a team that, uh, a different kind of style to us, sorry, should I say, a team who, again, have a clear identity or a plan, if you like. You know, they're, they're signing some really good players. 
their recruitment's been fantastic. They've they've obviously got Lamptey, who's not going to be playing, I don't think, this this weekend. But they've recently signed Moses Cassiedo, who's really well thought of. There's obviously a, a clear plan strategy in place there and a club potentially that might be going places. Uh, and a club that we faced earlier in the season where there was a bit of controversy at the end when 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 uh, a penalty got overturned. So I feel I feel like uh, I feel like we owe them a, li- a little bit. I'm a big fan of Brighton. Uh, I, like you mentioned, their recruitment, their their style of play. I mean, I, I think you know, there's obviously differences between the two clubs, but I I think one that highlights it is just the the difference in the ownership. I mean, one might top five in wealth, and one might be bottom five, and you know, Jack obviously is a major difference between the two sides. I can keep going on and on, but that might be the difference. And as you say, there's some luck that goes into it as well, because they really should be at least a mid table side. And now right now they're it seems like a bottom five side. And as you mentioned, like this is one of the four games, the, the, the first match against Brighton that is most aggravating to me this season. It's, it's that one. It's the first West Ham match. And then it's the two Burnley matches. And like, the difference in those four might be the difference between Europe and not at the end of the season. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I mean that, that, that Brighton one when um, it's so funny because I think it perfectly goes in line with what the column that we just referenced outlines where when we press and we get so high up, there is a little bit of a susceptibility to being uh, through balls that goes directly through the defense. And that first Danny Welbeck goal, was absolutely one of those. And then it's giving up advantageous shots for the defense. And then Solly March was able to convert one of those into a goal. And I believe like the 55th minute last time. So like from a defensive perspective, and there were some other chances that they missed that Emmy came rushing out and did a, a fantastic job with. But I mean, I, I'm confident heading into this one. And I, if you remember back to that one, Lamptey was absolutely the man of the match was absolutely so difficult to deal with on that offensive right side, the defensive left side might've been the most difficult matchup for Matt target all, all year long. If we think back on it and him not playing in this match could completely turn on its head a little bit. I, I think so. Uh, I, I definitely think so. I'm, I'm so glad he's not playing because I think he's a massive talent and another great signing that they've made, I think from Chelsea, from, from memory, um, yep. really good player. Um, one of so many right backs that England have potentially got um, that, that can come in and do a job. So good that he's not playing. Um, maybe Webster might be missing as well. Uh, potentially, I, I saw that as well. Another another good sign that they've made. Another sign that we were linked with. Um, we went for Ezri Konz instead, which has obviously turned out great for us. Konz uh, yeah. has been Konz <laughs> has been fantastic. Paid paid about uh, I think half half the money for him. I think yep. compared to what they paid for Webster. So. You know, I think that's a that's a big deal as well because Webster's great at bringing the ball out from the back as well, which you know Brighton rely on quite a bit, I think. Um, uh, and I think the other big big name for for Brighton uh, is Trossard in, in an attacking sense. I think he creates so much for them, and he's probably one of their best players. He seems to be having is a, is the phrase over there a purple patch? Is that yeah. correct? Yes, right. Yeah. Uh, he he seems to be having like his his El Ghazi moment. Right now, it seems like what I and I don't know how correct these stats are, but, you know, I, I go to all these different uh, football websites and who scored is one of them. Um, Villa have four counterattacking goals this season. Brighton have zero, zero counterattacking goals this year, um, which to me stands out. I mean, 
we just spoke about how counterattacking is a major part of chances created for Villa. And it doesn't seem to be that it seems to be open play and obviously set pieces for Brighton on the other side. So that's something that I'll be focusing on in this one. I believe March is out as well. So uh, the other goal scorer, obviously, in, in the last match. Look, this is this is something so I I mean, I'm going into every single match confident now because maybe it's just how terrified I was have, heading into every single match last season where I've seen the best this year and think that there are very few teams that can match that. Um, but it's, it's, it's one where I just think how Villa is heading into this one healthy, how Brighton is not also had to play, I believe on Wednesday of this week. Um, it, it, it should be one where if they want to get to where they are in that seven to 10 spot and who knows, maybe even higher then this should be a win on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, it has to be really, isn't it? On the back of the Arsenal win, um, you know, we need, we want to carry on that momentum because, you know, we've, with that first half of the season has been so good. Overall, there's been there's been a you know there's been a couple of games where we've lost a couple of games in a row, but we fought back and, and then won a few games in a row. Um, since the turn of the year, it's been a bit more inconsistent, I would say, in terms of performances as well, which is not something we're used to. Even when we're losing before the turn of the year, we were still putting in good performances. So we don't want to get in a position where we're inconsistent throughout the rest of the season and end up you know sort of almost end up maybe lower mid table or, you know, that 10th, 11th position when we could have a really good opportunity to, to challenge for Europe. And I think it's there for us. You know, we've got a really good run of games coming up now where we can pick up points um, and and continue the momentum. And injuries-wise, you know, luckily, touch wood, we've been okay um, so far. We haven't had to deal with too many injuries apart from Barkley, really, is, is the main one. You know, I think we've got to take advantage of these types of games. And, you know, Brighton will be full of confidence, of course. You know, they've, they've done well in recent years, but they've still had results where... You know, they've drawn a lot of games. They probably should have got more out of a game and they haven't. So there's still that inconsistency there. And I think the fact that they're missing March, who's, again, as you said, it was a goal scorer in the last game, but also a very important player, a great outlet for them as well. No Lamptey, potentially no Webster as well. You know, that's a big part of their team missing. Um, and yeah, we've, we've got to take this, advantage of that. Yeah, sorry for interrupting. This was also the match where Barkley got injured last time, I believe, in, in, the, in the second minute. And then it seemed like there was no like plan B that made a lot of sense. Like they, they were trying to figure out the plan B on the fly because I think BT came in and played a bit more like central at first. And then maybe they, they flipped Trez left and then moved Jack central. And obviously they figured it out after, you know, Ross had been injured for a bit, exactly what their, their lineup was. But so having him, despite what, we might've said about Ross Barkley earlier in this podcast. I mean, like you said, just having full health. And so let me ask you this with how marvelous came in last week and how well he played and how he was so consistent in the middle field. And he's done that, I guess, twice now this season. How, how, how would you go out with the starting 11 in this match? Mm, it's an interesting one. I mean, I, I think, um, so I think in terms of Brighton's Brighton's play, they're probably going to have a lot of the ball. I imagine, um, at home, especially, I know. I know it doesn't really matter at home in a way now, given there's no fans in the stadium. But I think they're so used to playing a certain way at home that I think they'll probably have most of the ball. Um, I think Brighton struggle at home, to be honest. I think. Um, I think we we we, well, we read it out in the last pod. They're a really weird start that the last three home wins Brighton have had have been in 2019, 2020, and 2021. So that gives you an idea of how bad they've been at home. 
So part of me is thinking, well, you know, Brighton play good possession football. You, you might need Nakamba to break up play and do a job similar to what he did against Arsenal, which I thought he was brilliant at. Then part of me thinks, well, Brighton really struggled at home. Uh, yes, they play a good brand of football, but they're struggling to create chances or score goals. Um, would it be better to have Louise, who's more progressive with the ball and better with the ball to build our attacks and, and counter in a more effective way, which I think is something we, we probably lacked with, with Nakamba because obviously you know, he likes to keep, keep it simple. He doesn't play those raking balls and, and progressive passes that Louise does. So I'm, I'm, I'm really caught in between the two, to be honest. I, I think what Dean will do is I think he'll bring Louise back in because, you know, we're a better team than Brighton and we've got a, and this is the way that, that Dean Smith likes to play. You know, he likes to play to, uh, he likes to play a game plan. I have, sorry, have a game plan in place that plays to the, our, our uh, best attributes, if you like, uh, rather than worry too much about the opposition. So I think, he, I think he will put Louise back in. Um, I don't think there'll be any more changes than that though. What, what do you think? So he seems so loyal. Dean does like as long as you have a spot in the starting 11, you basically have to not do something to lose your spot, but kind of play your way out of it in some ways. So, and I'm, I'm asking you questions that I don't even know the answer to. So <laughs> I, I apologize for putting you in this position, but what, what did, why do you think, cause Dougie has been, you know, fantastic for basically a year now, right? Did, was it just a little bit of a change up? Was it like a, Hey, and we don't see how these guys train also in the background. Right. And, you know, Marvis has done nothing but play well this season when he's been in there. So like, what, what do you think was the reason for the change last time and why might not that be the formation or the tactic or the style? I know you kind of just answered this, but, um, it was just fascinating to me because the two, I'm not going to say they're, they're wildly different, but they are different. And I, I for so long, for months, I kind of felt like Louise, other than obviously racking up yellow cards, was never going to come out of this lineup. But even when he did, they still played well. And I think to me, that's a testament to this mentality that I need to get over of, hey, we have just the starting 11. And if anything changes out outside of that, then I should be concerned. And, you know, we are moving towards a club that should not that should not be the case that we should believe in two to three to four to five players on the bench that if they step in we should have confidence in them that they can still play winning football yeah i mean i think with with dougie i think you know he's one of said it before he's one of my favorite players i think he's an exciting player and and hopefully we can keep him for the longer term because i think he's going to be a big part of our long-term plans if we can keep him away from man city but i do think and, and dean smith alluded to this in his post-match conference you know he's he's a young lad he's 22 years old he's played a lot of games this season a lot of minutes um I don't know if he was impacted by COVID or not I'm not really sure but I do think we've seen a recent drop off in performances for him and McGinn as well McGinn's the same I think uh, I think he's been very inconsistent lately in the last few games and I think in against West Ham Dean didn't like what he saw because in the midfield you know we tend to our midfield is so important to the way that we play not in terms of you know, building up play or anything like that in terms of winning second balls, um, getting that out ball straight away out to the likes of Jack and Traore and generally providing cover for for the defence, which is something we didn't have last season. And I think in recent games, I think we've been lacking a little bit on that. Um, I think our midfield hasn't been as effective as it normally is or has been this season. I think against Southampton, you saw them play through our midfield quite easily. You saw West Ham play through our midfield quite easily. And I think that may be concerned 
Dean a little bit and he mentioned in the pre-match before Arsenal game that he wanted to shore us up a bit and make us harder to score goals against. And I think that's why that's why Nakamba came in. Uh, simply as I think, you know, Doug, Dougie Louise is 22 years old. He's one of our youngest players playing on a regular basis. I think people forget how how young he is. So he's going to have spells where he's not as best. And I think maybe it may ignite something in him to get him back to back to his best again. Um, hopefully, and we agree that we agree that Traore needs to start in the right wing as well. Definitely, yeah, I think he has to. I, I, he has to play every game apart from. Maybe games against someone like Leeds. I think Trez is probably a better option, although Trez didn't have a great game against them at home. But I think I think you know we against those teams that are intense, put a lot of pressure on you, on of sort of um, you know hundred miles an hour like Leeds are. Then I think Trez is a probably a better option. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Troy played most of the rest of the season, to be honest, because I think he's so important to the way that we play now. Yeah, I I, I don't know. It's the, I agree with you. First of all, the analysis of, of Triori can be, I'm not going to say hit or miss. It, it, it can be, I understand both sides of it. Let's put it that way. I also feel like, and this goes for every single sport, supporters, fans of, of players and, and teams feel like if a player is good at one thing, he should be good at everything, you know, and it doesn't work like that. Like Triori is not going to be, you know, the perfect defender who's in the perfect spot every single time tracking back. Um, but he offers, as we discussed, these moments of magic that we simply cannot replicate, especially with Trez, with anyone else on the side. So again, like finding the places where players are their best, where they offer something that no one else on the side does, and then using those to your advantage to get ahead or stay competitive in a match, and then altering it when it's necessary to, when it's to your advantage to, I think like there's balance on that right side, right? Like going up one or two goals that probably BT was a major part in creating or um, having this flair on the right side. I mean, some of these shots that he's creating outside the box with really just his left foot are, are astonishing. And they come again out of, out of nowhere. But then like that 65, 70 or 60th minute sub, for, for Trez, who I forgot who termed him as a fly stuck in a jar. I mean, it's, it's an absolutely incredible comparison yeah. because he just wants to run at the ball and run at your feet and get right in your face and be annoying and, and just bouncing all over the place. And, and that's, that's what he's doing. I don't know if you could find two more players that are more drastically different at their same spot who maybe offer two different things, but I, I think it's, it works when, when used correctly. Yeah, and I think it's something that we'll see a lot for the rest of the season because I think it's so effective. We saw it against Arsenal, like you say. Um, you know, get Troy in for 60, 70 minutes uh, and then when he begins to wane a little bit, get Trez on and that, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a nightmare for the opposition, isn't it, really? He is. I mean, <laughs> yes, he doesn't have the quality but that, that Troy has, but he's so effective in that role that, and it makes it such, you know, if we are in the lead, that's probably why we've been so good at defending Leeds this season. You know, someone like him is not going to give you a moment's peace. Uh, it's so important. Um, but yeah, looking forward to to the game then on on Saturday night. Uh, we'd love to play it Saturday night. So love to play in the weekend evening. Not so much during the weekday, but a game that we should really be winning. How do you see it going? Two one Villa. Two one Villa. Um, I think that they go up two 0 actually. And allow another goal, maybe in the 65th minute. I'm getting very detailed here. I like it. Uh, 
and then yeah, end up end up two one. Again, some fingernails might be gnawed off around that eighty fifth minute and on, but nothing else is that case other than Villa. Can I ask you a question? Well, first, what's your prediction? Well, I, I'm actually going to go for a one nil victory. I think it's going to be a tight affair. I don't think. Uh, I think most of Brighton's games this season have been fairly tight. Most of them. Um, with the odd goal in it, so I think again it'll be the odd goal. So maybe two, maybe two one as well, maybe. But I think I think we we were so good defensively um, against Arsenal. I can't see us changing that much, and I don't think Brighton are as effective attacking unit um, as Arsenal. Well, the Arsenal weren't great, let's be honest. But um, I don't think we'll give up a goal, and I think we'll nick one maybe towards the end. So in American football, I'm kind of obsessed with this idea of windows to win, uh, where it's very difficult to sustain success only a couple franchises are able to do it for five years three years ten years um, i know it's different sports and different ways to build a roster um, but i truly feel like this is the start of of a window to win for for villa um, now heading into this season i would have love to just finish mid-table, right? In comparison to last year, just like not have to worry about the Sheffields and the Burnleys and the Fulhams and the West Broms and what their results are on a weekly basis and instead look up rather than look down, which which is what's happening. But now, and tell me if you are of the same mindset and if not, maybe I'm a crazy person, but um, now I, I already can't help but think like, okay, what if you know we get to May or whatever it is? And like the difference is like from seventh to six or eighth to seventh or whatever it ends up being like two points or three points or five points. And um, it was just like on the cusp of being like a truly, truly special season. And I'm trying not to look too far ahead, but I, I do feel like the core is absolutely there. They've nailed recruitment for the last two years um, and which almost to a degree that is rare. And I, I just think, and again, this is a big picture look. I mean, it, it would be beyond disappointing for someone like Jack to never play in Europe. And again, I think that this is, you know, the window for that to happen, hopefully just the start of it. You know, I completely agree, to be honest. Um, I think it's such a good opportunity for us. It's such a weird set of circumstances that have brought us here. Uh, obviously, staying up last season, the last game of the season, What's happened with COVID? No fans in the stadium. What's happened early part of the season with with the big teams losing? That obviously now maybe finally starting to find their feet. Well, Man City especially. Um, it's such a big, big opportunity for us to to do something we probably two or three years ahead of in terms of our goals. Um, and you've got to grasp it, really, haven't you? you? You've got to take advantage of it. Um, I think probably why they bought, I mean, I understand why they bought Sanson because it's probably a good deal financially compared to what they would have been in the summer before. But at the same time, they didn't need to spend the money. I think they did because they wanted to have that big push to get to Europe. And I think you're right. The, the Jack factor in all of this is massive. And something we've mentioned on this pod before is, you know, if we get close to Europe and we don't make it, that puts a completely different perspective on on things compared to say if we'd been struggling all season and made a last ditch push to Europe and, and nearly got there, that'd be completely different. But I think now we are where we are. We're so close. You know, we win our two games in hand. We're fourth, I think, or fifth. I mean, it's 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 there to it's there to take. It's there to grab, right? And while again, I don't want to be greedy and say like, oh, an eighth or ninth place finished. Oh, that 
that that's not good enough. In the end, we might be sitting there in May if they go on like a two game losing streak or whatever to to finish the season and, and miss it just because of that. I I can't help and I'll be honest, be a little disappointed in it. But um, but maybe that's just me and on the state of of the franchise. Some might say um, right now. I think it's also the youngest starting eleven in the PL. Which to to your point of being a year or two ahead, they are absolutely a year or two ahead. And trust me, whenever Greg Evans mentions on another podcast, I will not mention that some of the names that might be floating around this summer that he's already heard, but not relaying those names, my ears and eyes perk up a little bit. And uh, it's it's just a great time to be a Villa supporter. That's for sure. It really is, really is. And and I mean, that staying up last season is complete. It's like a sliding doors moment, isn't it? It's completely changed the outlook of this team and this club. Um, we've had a few of those sliding doors moments over the years. So hopefully, you know, looking forward now, bright game, massive um, to continue our momentum. And then we've got Leicester, Leeds, Wolves, Newcastle, Sheffield United, Fulham, and a run of games that we can all, you know, really winnable. All of those games are... Um, I think we you know we really got to take advantage of that because, but then the end of the season it's a difficult running. But, oh my um, gosh! Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean we, we look forward to that game. Brighton game will be back with uh, with the the lockdown lowdown with 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 Chazzy and Jugsy reviewing that game. Hopefully, it's another victory. Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure to to have you on the show. It's been one of my most enjoyable conversations about Villa. Uh, such a detailed analysis about how we play and the Brighton game. Um, it's been really interesting to talk to you and, and I would love to have you have you back on if you're if you're ever keen absolutely I mean anytime I, I again I mentioned this to you before we got started but there's this rotation of Philip podcasts that I listen to and as someone again who is continuing to learn about the club the sport especially through analytics more and more I really appreciate you guys welcoming me um, and for making me feel somewhat close. So one day when I do get to go to Villa Park, um, I'll just have an absolute joy and maybe shed a tear or two. So thanks for, uh, thanks for making me feel a little bit closer to it, much closer than I am. So absolute pleasure and no, absolute pleasure. And, and let's hope that isn't too far away. We'd love to have you at yes. a game. Yeah, it'd be amazing. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'd all love to be at a game, but I'm sure it'd be a special moment for you. And, uh, just, um, really brings home how important and, and also what it's like to be a fan abroad. Uh, of Aston Villa, you know, we're quite lucky. We're quite fortunate that we're able to go to these games and it's around the corner for us uh, in in comparison. So, you know, you, 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 you do sort of take it for granted sometimes. But absolute pleasure. We've, we've talked so much about, I've enjoyed so much talking about Villa, the style of play, the deep dive in the stats and the analysis of the Brighton game that we were going to do Didier Six today, but we've just run, we just run out of time. But I definitely keep those three that you've got there in the background <laughs> for next time because... Uh, there's still a chance to win that prize. So thanks again, Josh, for <laughs> <laughs> thanks again, Josh, for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Definitely have you back on again. I would like to have you on for a, for a post-match review, actually. I think it'd be oh, really man. good to have you on um, at some stage. So watch out for that. Uh, thanks for listening again, guys. Absolute pleasure to have you listen to our show and all the feedback that we get. It's great. Uh, we love it and we continue to sort of stride forward and improve it. I asked the other day for some feedback and it was good to get a lot of feedback and we'll continue to try and implement some of those ideas as well. But uh, usual spiel, you know, please do follow and subscribe if this is the first time you're listening. We're on all the major podcast platforms. Um, if you're on Apple, leave a review and rating. If you're on Twitter, we're at Villa Podcast or on Word. Please do follow us. And uh, apart from that, thanks, Josh, again for your time and up the villa. Up the villa. 
ਆਈ ਲਵ ਇਟ ਮੈਨੂੰ ਬਹੁਤ ਚੰਗਾ ਲੱਗਦਾ